Hello and welcome to The Shana Show. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and mindset coach. I'm on a mission to help you live a nourished life on every single level. This podcast dives into the world of holistic health and personal development. Here, I combine practical knowledge and tools with the science of behavior change to help you embody your best self. It's my aim that this podcast inspires you and provides you with the resources to live the life of your dreams. So if you're ready to become your happiest and healthiest self, you are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. So I'm back here with the wonderful Jacinta Barbagallo. If you haven't listened to our previous episode called "Healthy: How to Have Healthy Skin from Within, highly recommend. We went into all the juice about how to, yeah, really nourish yourself from the inside out so that it shows with vibrant skin health. Um, but here we are going to do a short Q&A segment for some of the questions that came through on Instagram for us. So thank you for being here again, Jacinta. My and- pleasure. <laughs> Always a pleasure. And let's get started with a melasma question. So we have a question here about melasma and the best treatment for it. This particular person has tried Cosmolan, I hope I'm saying that right, which is a peel mm-hmm. and laser, but it's still there. What would your tips be? Okay. So um, as a disclaimer, we do not do any topicals, so I can't particularly comment on the types of treatments that she's done from an external perspective. But if nothing has changed, then she needs to also look at the internal drivers of melasma and what's going on there. So the first thing that we always look at with melasma is the potential hormonal profile of what's impacting those those uh, enzymes and the activity of the hormones that are causing the increase in the pigmentation within the skin. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, we can see a couple of different things. Often, I see either a high estrogen state or a low estrogen, usually something to do with estrogen. So for example, I could see it when people have been going through like IVF treatments and they've been on like particular um, medications and they've like the their estrogen has been high, or I've even seen it with people that have like high post-ovulation estrogen. And then that's caused an issue or generally people that Uh, have insufficient estrogen because they're like maybe too stressed or they're not eating enough or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So always get your hormones tested and see what's going on with estrogen. So your next step would be to get day two or day three, a full hormonal profile done, which Mm -hmm. should include estrogen, your pituitary hormones like FSH and LH and androgens as well. And then look at your estrogen post ovulation. So getting estrogen and progesterone tested about a week after population and then once you're being able to understand the hormonal profile then you can do a little bit more kind of specific treatments to be able to support their um to support like estrogen detoxification or estrogen building based on their hormones then we always need to look at antioxidants so with melasma it is really a matter of having a high amount of oxidative stress. So there's a lot of inflammation that's happening within the skin that's causing the pigmentation. So internally, we actually use a lot of things like broccoli sprout extract. I use a lot of things like resveratrol. So resveratrol is an antioxidant that you can get actually mostly in red wine, but don't (laughs) get it from red wine. Um, And from grapes, um, anything vibrant in color usually has quite a lot of resveratrol in it. So 
Um, yeah, broccoli resveratrol and acetylcysteine. I use a bit of glutathione as well and also do a lot of liver support as well because a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation that can drive the internal cause of melasma can stem from an imbalance between like phase one and phase two detoxification within the liver. And that's where like the antioxidants and liver support comes into it. So if you've done a lot of the external stuff and you're not seeing change, then you need to look at like internally, what are the blocks for your skin actually being able to heal the oxidative stress and what is the hormonal cascade that hasn't been addressed that's allowing for it to continue to progress to progress. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I love like, yeah, that individualized approach. And obviously you do this with all your clients of like really mm. getting those tests and being like, okay, do we need to do the estrogen building or detoxification or like knowing exactly which direction to go? Yeah. Um, yeah. Love that. Yeah. Um, and for the general nutritional stuff as well, um, this particular person, if you're listening, which hopefully they are, okay. um, they can check out the previous episode we did yes. about particular nutrients, different ways to support with that inflammation on top of mm. what you just mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. And then even just topically, like super basic stuff. Most people with melasma also know they need to be so on top of it with their sunscreen Mm. um, and their sun exposure um, and good quality sunscreen at that too. Yeah. And when it comes to sun, I'm also a big advocate of like, this is another reason we really want to decrease our omega-6 intake um, and make sure our omega-3 intake is higher because there are links between high omega-6 levels and worse, um, like the sun being worse for our skin. So Mm. Yeah, being careful of what you're putting on both topically if it's high in omega-6, but also internally, I'd say would be another little random. Yeah, absolutely. All <laughs> yeah. right, no, love it. We're all asking for it. <laughs> Amazing. So our next question was about rosacea. So treating rosacea, where to begin? Okay. So <clears throat> Internally, first, um, where to begin is always digestion, always a gut-skin connection. So a lot of people that have rosacea, well, more than 70% of people with rosacea have either helicobacter pylori, which is a bacterial infection that overgrows within the stomach, um, or SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and that's bacterial overgrowth that's in the name, (laughs) in the small intestine. Um, But the... Inflammation that actually causes the cascade for rosacea to begin is increased with the presence of H. pylori. So, for example, some of the medications that are given for rosacea, like doxycycline, actually works on inhibiting that particular, it's called a cathelicidin, like an inflammatory um, mediator that causes rosacea. So doxycycline works on that specific inflammatory mediator, but that inflammatory media is driven by gut dysbiosis. So always coming back to digestive function. I often see a lot of people that have rosacea also have low stomach acid. So making sure that they're working on identifying the cause of low stomach acid, whether that's stress, whether that's something actually physically wrong with the um, the vagus nerve as well that's impacting that as well and the ability for the stomach to switch on to support stomach acid production. So generally I'm always looking at the gut primarily first. Um, and then like we essentially have something what we call like the hierarchy of repair when it comes to the skin and working through that. So always addressing the diet, always addressing the gut and then working through things like blood sugar, liver detoxification, hormonal profile, and then that ends up healing the skin. But you always have to start with the gut. And if you've listened to our previous episode, you'll also know that how many nutrients, key nutrients are important for the function of the skin. So making sure you're addressing the basics. So 
with rosacea, it's such an impairment of the skin barrier. So what is your essential fatty acid status? Are there any specific nutritional deficiencies like B vitamins or iron that are impacting the repair of the skin? Um, and then we also need to think about topically. Now, a lot of people that have rosacea, depending on the extent, they might also then have the presence of other infections in the skin. So I see some people that have rosacea also have staph in the skin. And sometimes we can see that because people will get nasal sores, recurrent sinus infections that might have a lot of persistent redness around their, um, their nostrils and in the nasolabial folds as well. So it's something to screen for in terms of making sure you're on top of it in terms of infection in the skin, if there's bacterial infection in the form of staph or if there's any fungal infection in the skin as well. And then there's so many different things we're going to think about with rosacea, but they're the key things you have to start off. Like what are the bacterial infections in the gut? Are there any bacterial infections in the skin um, or fungal infections that are going on? Um, Externally, what I've noticed with any rosacea case, it is keep it simple. Like as simple as you can with your skin treatments is going to be the best thing. The skin is very sensitive when it comes to rosacea, especially when it's going through a flare. So less is best. Um, so we don't prescribe topicals as um, most people that follow us will know. But we often do advise that when people have rosacea, that they're working with someone who understands that rosacea is a very tricky, complex condition, and it requires the skin barrier to really be supported. So try and avoid any treatments that are going to damage the skin barrier. So get rid of the micellar water. Um, don't do any things like, you know, microdermabrasions or heavy chemical peels or anything like that that are going to impair the barrier. Your skin doesn't need to be stripped. It needs to be rebuilt. Mm. And that's from both an external and internal. Uh, perspective yeah beautiful love that distinction um, what else can I share about rosacea there's so many different things uh, from a dietary perspective it would be to look at the key drivers of inflammation so I would honestly recommend most people that have rosacea to follow gluten dairy sugar-free for at least eight to 12 weeks like I do with a lot of my severe cases see how your skin responds work on healing the gut and slowly reintroduce things where you need to. Alcohol is unfortunately a massive no for rosacea. Alcohol and caffeine, they cause can cause severe flares. So with every exposure to caffeine and alcohol, you're increasing like you know, the vasodilation within the skin that's going to damage and cause more of the inflammation and the redness that you can appear. So we want to try to strengthen the capillaries and by constantly challenging them, they're not going to be strengthened. So initially when we're trying to reduce as much inflammation as you can, that's the key goal. Mm, yeah. And that actually reminds me in our previous episode, we didn't touch on caffeine. We touched on alcohol, gluten, sugar, dairy. Yes. Um, but yeah, is there anything you wanted to add just briefly around like the link between skin health and caffeine consumption? I'm going to add this yes. question as my own. <laughs> That's okay. All right. We've got to add it in. Um, okay. So there's lots of like caffeine is often a problem with people that have already an elevated stress response. So if they're already like their stress response is firing, they're constantly on, like they're a super anxious person, then of course that's going to be, you know, that's going to significantly impact um, that um, their function of the skin. And what we generally see is people that have acne, it might just be persistent breakouts. For some people that have peridermatitis or rosacea, it might be persistent redness. 
in the skin. So I don't think caffeine is the devil. I think it's also just about how you're consuming it, how often you're consuming it. You know, are you having it in the morning on an empty stomach or are you having it after food? Are you living off caffeine as a form of like suppressing your appetite or are you actually eating? Um, and how are your adrenals going? Like I, I drink coffee and I also change my coffee consumption and patterns based on my lifestyle at that point in time. Most of this year I've had decaf um, just because I'm aware that if I have too much, I don't like it in terms of how my body responds. And then I also tune into my body when there's periods of time where I'm going through a lot of stress, like, you know, which would actually be the reverse for a lot of people. You often see a lot of people go through a period of stress where they're really busy, they're doing everything. So their caffeine consumption increases Whereas often my pattern would be the reverse. I'm like, I'm really stressed with my to-do list. I have a lot of things going on. This is not a time to add an external stressor onto my body in the form of food that, or, you know, coffee that can exacerbate this response. If anything at this moment, it's not helping me, it's harming me. And that's kind of the way that I see it. And it also helps me create a level of detachment from caffeine as well. Yeah, beautiful. I love how even in the last episode, a big theme was just tuning into your body. And I'm Mm. so for that because it's so important to get to know our body, what we need based Mm. on current circumstances and different variables. Mm. It's powerful. Yeah. yeah, Thank you for all that info about caffeine and skin. That's okay. (laughs) Beautiful. And then our other question was around acne scarring, what to do about that. Okay. So generally when we're working with clients that have acne they get to a point where their skin is experiencing minimal breakouts and typically it's at that point they're working with their skin therapist and they might build them to a point where they can get skin needling done now it's obviously not my area of expertise so I can't go into it in a lot of detail but the basic principles of skin needling is it's trying to induce an inflammatory response because by inducing an inflammatory response, you're also stimulating the body's innate healing mechanisms to be able to focus on repair in that particular area. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think about it, if you were to induce inflammation in a particular area, like for example, you break a bone, you're inducing inflammation, what happens? It heals and it heals because you're telling the body, hey, there's something broken here. I need it fixed, deliver as many nutrients and um, you know, as many vitamins and nutrients as such that you can bring to this area so it can heal properly. And that's basically the same thing with skin needling. They're trying to be able to induce a specific level of inflammation so the body can deliver more of its you know, immune factors and nutrients to be able to support the repair within the skin. Now, basically, when that repair happens, you're then improving things like pigmentation and also, you know, more scarring if it's more like deeper scars that are are there. Now, if we then think about that from an internal perspective, it then also means that you need to support the mechanisms that are involved in that innate healing response. Now, that's where iron is important. So iron is one of the most important minerals that we need for collagen production. Collagen production is the key thing that helps with supporting the repair within the skin and also the delivery of nutrients to particular areas of the skin as well. So we need iron. So correcting your iron status Um, Other nutrients that we need will be like zinc, vitamin C. Vitamin E is actually the most important antioxidant that you need in high amounts in the skin to be able to support repair and reduce scarring. So that's important. Um, But 
Also making sure that you're working with the skin therapist that is building you to a point where you can get the skin needling done is important. Not just, you know, walking in, looking at your skin and giving you skin needling in the first session. It's actually a process that takes a few months because they need to make sure that your skin's healthy, it can handle it, um, and that they're like starting with even like foam rolling to be able to support the repair. Um, and the biggest thing is not picking your breakouts. So the less picking when you're having an active breakout, the less likely you, likely you are to get any form of scarring as well. Yeah. Amazing. That's such helpful info. And that also made me think of two other questions that I'm going to add. Throw them at me. <laughs> so you just mentioned um, the foam rolling as like a kind of oh, foam rolling. What was it? Home rolling. So home rolling is like a little derma. It's like a little oh, cool. rolling thing that they, I don't, I don't know. I've never used it actually. Um, yeah. It's like almost kind of like the a jade little, roller. It kind of looks like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's ones that they, I think they specifically make that are in preparation for doing skin needling. And I think they have little things on them. It's not like a crystal, oh, it's not, um, yeah. but it's supposed to be able to support like the breakdown of, I don't know, whatever it is in the skin, actually don't know. I've never used it. My skin's yeah. not there. Um, but the home rolling is something that they often implement for a few months before they do the in-clinic skin needling. Yeah, beautiful. Well, it inspired the question anyway. So <laughs> when it comes to things like gouaches or mm. jade rollers, I love my guasha. What's kind of your stance? And I know your jam is more of like the internal, it but does. do you have anything you can like um, yeah. Yeah, riff on about like the gouaches and the jade rollers? Yeah. So the gouaches and the jade rollers, from my understanding, they really help with supporting the movement of the lymph mm -hmm. in the face. So the as we spoke about in the previous podcast, the lymphatic system is really important for the delivery of nutrients and it actually moves a lot of congestion that might be in the skin, even in the form of toxins and everything. So the more movement you're getting into the face, the better blood flow, the better nutrient delivery to the skin cells, the more hydration you're going to provide, the better repair you're giving to your skin. Um, and that's where like, even when you're seeing a skin therapist, they might even use specific types of massage techniques on your face to try to induce a particular response mm -hmm. in the body. And that's where probably the home, um, like gua sha and the adjustment rollers and everything come into. Yeah, cool. I love that. And yeah, I've noticed a difference when I do it versus when yeah. I don't do it. Um, yeah, so love all that kind of stuff. And Beautiful. All that support. Yeah. yeah. What was my other question? I thought of one related to was when you were talking about the acne scarring. Oh, it was unrelated to acne scarring, but it just dropped. We're <laughs> talking about that. It's to do with um, supporting our skin during summer and sun exposure. Mm -hmm. So, do you have any little tips? Obviously, you don't have to, yeah, like, I know we've been talking yeah. for ages <laughs> okay. in the last episode of yeah. this one, but any other little tips and particular foods that are good for um, skin health, especially when we have increased sun exposure? Yes. Okay, so vitamin A is one of the key things that we need for the repair of the skin if there's damage to the DNA from the sun. So vitamin A you're going to find in high amounts in beef liver, but you'll also be able to find its precursors in anything that's kind of like orange as well, like you know orange sweet potato, um, carrots. So they're going to be beneficial for you to include. Also egg yolks as well. And topically like we're always advocates for making sure you're wearing your sunscreen really important mm -hmm. um and you know i'm not a sunscreen expert 
But I do want to emphasize that there are going to be some which are probably full of crap <laughs> um, that are probably more inflammatory for your skin. Yeah. And also some that are made from even skincare brands that might have really good products in terms of like topical um, topical prescriptions like cleansers and serums and everything like that but the SPFs can still elicit breakouts like you know I've had some some of my SPFs that I can't wear because purely every single time I wear them I'll get a breakout um, and I don't know the purpose for that like I don't know other reason for that I don't know if it's specific um, things in there that still might be comedogenic and blocking the hair follicle and causing a breakout but I've actually recently found that the brand Little Urchin is actually really great. Um, I You can get it from health food stores. I actually even found it just in Woolies um, too, but it's a really good brand. Um, so making sure you're using your sunscreen, you can check the UV rays to make sure you're you know, not going out when it's too high um, and also just wearing a hat um, because you can still get sunburn even if you're wearing sunscreen. Yeah. Beautiful. Such good tips. And yeah, I thought perfect time of year with summer here for those of us in the Southern Hemisphere. Yes. Um, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions and all of your wisdom and knowledge in the previous episode and everything we dove into for those that are listening to these answers and you haven't listened to the previous one, like we said, there's lots of juice in there. Um, and Jacinta goes into lots of depth onto, into a lot of the topics that she's brushed on here as well. So yeah, we hope that you've gained lots of value and thank you again, Jacinta, for your time. My pleasure. And if anyone has any further questions I'd like to ask, you're always welcome to either uh, message me on the Arenda Women's Health Instagram or you can also message Shana and we will do another podcast. Yes, I'm all for um, it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks oh, so much goodness. for having me. Uh, bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I would love for you to leave me a review via the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you think. I'm always open to feedback and if you have any dream guests or topic requests, please feel free to send me a direct message or an email. If you know anyone else that this episode could benefit, I would be so grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we can help even more people live a nourished life. Your support means so much to me and I appreciate you being here.